scripture uh, comes from uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We'll be reading this in the ESV. It'll be an alternate reading. Um, so if you want to find the scripture in your pew Bibles, or uh, if you brought your own Bible or Bible app, um, and uh, we'll be doing an alternate reading, which means that I'll read the first verse, we'll all respond with the verse after that, and we'll keep going back and forth until the end. So if you could please stand as able once you are ready to read the scripture. Again, it's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today's message is called Spirit Break In. And today is Pentecost, uh, the day that we normally celebrate a couple of things, the coming of the Holy Spirit in this very massive way, uh, but it's also the birth of the church. And uh, so today's message is going to be kind of about both of those things. Uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, spirit and church the last few weeks. Um, but as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I, I do want to acknowledge that for many of us, it is uh, a, a little bit of a mystery when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, that sometimes understanding the work of the Holy Spirit seems to be a very difficult thing to ascertain. It seems... Uh, you know, mysterious, uh, for a lack of a better word. I remember um, when I was younger, I heard about, um, I guess there were certain churches where um, they were really, you know, trying to uh, welcome the Holy Spirit in different ways, and, and they, they really wanted to see these kind of like very impressive physical manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And, and I would hear about these churches. I honestly never saw one. I, I don't really know what it looked like, but just hearing about it kind of freaked me out. And so I don't know about you, but maybe it's been similar. When you hear about the Holy Spirit, you're like, oh, I don't know about this Holy Spirit. That seems a little wild. Like I would hear about, again, I don't know if this would happen, but I would hear about churches where, you know, people would like fall down and roll around or, you know, they like run around the sanctuary. They like bark like a dog or, you know, stuff like that. And again, I don't know if that was really happening, but it would scare me. <laughs> and so, you know, when I would think about the Holy Spirit, I'd be like, I don't really know about this. But I, I will say that, you know, the Holy Spirit, I think, is something that fascinates us because it does seem to be, for many of us, very mysterious and a little bit of an unknown quantity. And there does seem to be some real power there, right? Like in, in the, the Bible, we do see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and there's people who get healed, right? There, there's all kinds of movements of the Holy Spirit where there's revivals, and, you know, all these people coming to know the Lord, all these people coming to worship God in a way that is new, in a way that is exciting. And I think that there are many of us that are like, okay, there, we got one part sort of like like mystery and maybe a little bit of confusion and a little bit of reticence towards the Holy Spirit. But then we have one part attraction. We have one part where we're like, 
hey, maybe we need this Holy Spirit. No, maybe church isn't just supposed to be something natural. Maybe it is something that's supposed to be supernatural, which, which doesn't mean spooky, right? It just means more than natural, right? It's something that goes beyond the way that we normally see church, right? Is that your desire? Do you want to see supernatural moving? Do you want to see church operate in a different way? Because that's my heart. You know, uh, I, I do want to just say that there, there is scripture, and, and you know, this isn't going to be like a full study of the Holy Spirit. Um, that, that's, that would probably take a lot more. But I will say there are passages that talk about the Holy Spirit moving in ways that we can't always understand, that it's like the wind, right? The wind will blow where the wind blows, right? Which simply means, I think, that you can't control it. And so I think sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit as like this on-demand thing. I just saw the Aladdin remake this past week. Is it? I don't know if you guys have seen Aladdin or the original or the remake, right? But sometimes we think maybe the Holy Spirit is like a, a genie. And in Aladdin, the genie is all-powerful. But the problem with the genie is that the genie is bound to the will of their master, Right? And so the genie will operate based on what the master wants. You rub the lamp and say, genie, make me a prince, right? Genie, make me rich and powerful, whatever, right? And so the genie has to obey that. But that is not the Holy Spirit. By definition, that is not the Holy Spirit. And so just kind of our, our sort of working de- definition of Holy Spirit is it is the Spirit of God. It's holy. It's separate. It's not like other spirits, right? That's what holy means. It means that it is set apart, it is sanctified, right? But uh, it is a spirit, and we all have spirits, right? And so when I teach on this, I, I know I use this all the time, but I'm going <laughs> to keep using it because I think it's an easy way to remember. If you guys know the song Oceans, right? In Oceans, um, when it talks about the spirit, it says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without border, right? So what do spirits do? What do spirits do, brothers and sisters? What do they do? Good, good. All right, just remember oceans or remember Pastor Steve singing in a bad falsetto. <laughs> Anytime you want to remember, what does a spirit do? A spirit leads. That's what spirits do, right? And so by very definition, you cannot make the Holy Spirit do things according to your will. That's not how it works, right? The Holy Spirit is there to lead you into the will of God. That's what the Holy Spirit is about. Right, but is it just mysterious? Just woo! We don't know how the Holy Spirit's going to move. I mean, it's just it's just complete mystery. I think there is an aspect. Of course, you cannot on demand. Hey, Holy Spirit, do what I want right now. Right, I rub the lamp. I say the prayer the right way, and then you do what I want. Of course not. Right, then it wouldn't be the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't be the Spirit of God. It would be your slave. <laughs> it would be a genie. That's not how it works. All right. However. Is it just this mysterious thing that just blows and just does things that make no sense, that makes people bark like dogs, makes people run around? Is that the Holy Spirit? I'm not really sure. Again, it's not for me to judge and say, that's definitely the Holy Spirit, that's not, right? But there are principles that we see in Scripture about what the Holy Spirit does. So what I want to do is I want to try to help us to understand the work of the Holy Spirit and to give us a little bit of framework for being able to access the Holy Spirit more, 
Okay, it doesn't mean that I'm going to give you a formula that, you know, you follow these three steps and the Holy Spirit will do what you want. It's, it's, that's not how it works, right? But you will see that there are some principles of how the, the, the disciples, the apostles, encountered the Holy Spirit in the first century. And I think that those principles, we can follow those things. Does that make sense? And one of the things you will see in this passage is what the Holy Spirit is about what the Holy Spirit's work is trying to do in this world. At least one way, we will explore that today. So what I want to show you is, what, what, what are the, the sort of conditions, right? Like, like what, what is the, the, the way we're supposed to approach um, asking for the Holy Spirit, get, putting yourself in a position for God to move, and where does God want to move you to? Right? So if we can figure out the beginning and figure out the end, and then in between, of course, that's all up to God. Right? God's going to do what God does. But if we can figure out the beginning, what position do we need to be in? Right? Uh, what, what, what is, what is sort of the, the conditions that, uh, the original disciples experienced the Holy Spirit? And we can understand where the Holy Spirit is going, what the Holy Spirit's desire is, then I think we're going to be in good shape. Does that make sense? Yeah? All right, so let's take a look at this story. Uh, this is the story of Pentecost. And what I want to do is I want to give you uh, an overview of the story of Pentecost, but I'm going to start with the end, right? And so what we read today is um, the end of the story of Pentecost. And for many of us, we think of these two things as different. We think about the, 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 the story of Pentecost as one story, and then the story of the beginning of the church is a different story, and they're not. It's the same story. Right, And so the reason why I want to start with the end is so you can see what the Holy Spirit is trying to do, where the disciples end up, right? And so uh, it ends up with the starting of the church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, I highlighted fellowship because we're going to spend a lot of time today trying to understand what fellowship is about. What is fellowship? Like, oh, we just had fellowship. We had coffee and donuts, right? Okay, that can be a part of fellowship, but that is not in and of itself what fellowship is. Is fellowship talking to people at church? Is fellowship just mingling with people? You know? It's, I think it's more than that. And we'll get to that, but I'm going to give you clues throughout this passage about what fellowship is about. It says, um, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. This is another clue about what fellowship is about. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and the distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so brothers and sisters, what we see here is the story ends with the church, this beautiful first-generation church, uh, first-century church that was all about everyone holding things together and seeing the work of God in their midst. It was so real, so palpable, right? People saw uh, a movement. There were a lot of people who were coming to know God. 
who were being saved. There, there was uh, uh, miracles happening. There were healings that were happening. It was a very dynamic community. And a lot of us look at that and we're like, oh, man, that church is so awesome, right? There's something supernatural. And it is because the Holy Spirit is what brought this church together, right? And so when you go to the beginning of the story of uh, Acts, you're going to see in it, Sorry, my thing stopped working for a second here. Um, what you're going to see is you start with the people in a room. So the disciples were told to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and that the Holy Spirit would come on the day of Pentecost, right? So I want to show you something. Can, can you guys, uh, oh, here we go. All right, well, oh, we'll go get to this in a moment. All right, so when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Again, this is a clue all together in one place. And so what the Holy Spirit does is it comes upon the people and it, uh, so, so we're told that there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you're going to see movement in this story, right? So you get people who are gathered together in a room, maybe a house, right? Upper room, right? And so they're gathered together. Holy Spirit comes, gives them the ability to speak different languages, and then they go out. Right? They go out. Spirit breaks out. Right? We have a song, and I think it's going to be our closing song. Uh, spirit breakouts. Right? And that's what we think of the Holy Spirit. It breaks out. Right? It, it moves us out into the world. And that's definitely what happens. It moves the disciples out into the world, and they're proclaiming the mysteries of God, and it ends up with all these people coming to know God. Right? But the reason why I wanted to start with the end is so you didn't think it ended there. Many people will tell you this, and it's true, that the Holy Spirit is about helping people to come to know Christ. Definitely, right? But it doesn't just end there. So it starts with the people gathered together, waiting upon the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit breaks them out. And then they go out, and people are speaking Greek and Italian and French and Portuguese and Korean and English. Well, probably not English. I don't think it was invented yet, right? But they're speaking all these different languages. And all the people are like, okay? <laughs> what? What is that? Mo? What are you saying? Morago? Right? And they're like... What? We can understand these guys, right? They all seem to be of the same ethnic, you know, uh, background, but they seem to know all of these different languages. What in the world? This is before the internet, folks. This is before apps <laughs> where you can learn different languages. You know, it was amazing. And so they were able to preach the word of God in all these different languages. And then, of course, you know, you had the story where the people are like, what's going on? Are these guys drunk? Like, this is weird. You know, and Peter's like, no, men of Jerusalem, they're not drunk, right? It's, it's like nine in the morning, you know, but this is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he preaches the gospel. He tells them about Jesus. He tells them the story of what Jesus did, of him dying on the cross, of what uh, God's plan was, that he rose him from the dead, right? And then all of these people, they respond. They get baptized, right? And then 
these people form a community. And then they meet back in people's homes. So what you see is that it starts with the community. They break out. Holy Spirit works. And it brings them back together in community. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. It is trying to form a new kind of community. Now, what we know about the disciples before the Holy Spirit came is, is well, we don't know a lot. But one thing we know, they were scared. They're very scared. Why? Because the authorities killed their master. Right? And at that time, for these would-be messiahs, it was thought as a rebellion. Right? You were rejecting uh, the, 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 the sovereign rule of Caesar. Right? And so basically, you were in rebellion. Right? So you would kill the leader and you would round up the followers and you would kill them too. Right? If you wanted to squash one of these messianic movements. And so the, the disciples, probably just like you or I, uh, they were hiding. Right? And so they were, you know, behind locked doors and they were hiding. Now, Jesus had to appear to them and he told them to wait. He told them to wait upon the Holy Spirit. Right? But when the Holy Spirit comes, now the whole, the, the disciples are different. The disciples are bold. Right? The disciples are preaching the word. And when they come back together, are they the same scaredy cat disciples that we saw before? Now, again, that's natural. Right? I mean, I'd be scared too. But what you see now is a different kind of community. They're not marked now by fear. They are marked by love. This incredible love that emboldens them, that changes them, that changes the way they interact with other people, right? And so what you see is koinonia. That's the word for fellowship. So let's go back here a sec. So the word for fellowship here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That is the word we use, koinonia. It's a popular Christian word. It's actually considered an English word now. It obviously comes from the Greek, but I didn't know this, but when I was looking up stuff about koinonia, in the 2018 Scripps Spelling Bee, I think this year it ended in this like crazy tie Something like 14, 15 people tied. <laughs> but last year, 2018, the winning word, the last word was koinonia, right? And, and so for, if you're, uh, if you're a Christian, if you go to church, you're probably like, that was the winning word? <laughs> like we talk about that at, at, at church all the time, right? But I think what, where maybe people would have got tripped up is that koinonia starts with a K. <laughs> but what, what this word uh, means for us today, so if you look at the Merriam-Webster definition, is uh, Christian fellowship, right? The intimate spiritual communion and participative sharing in a common religious commitment and spiritual community, right? Uh, so koinonia, koinonia is us eating uh, bagels together or donuts, right? That's what no, most of us think. But in the Greek, there is uh, an implication of it, of, of that it is a, it's a participation. This is what koinonia is, is everyone participates together. One of the, the ways that koinonia was used was for, um, was for a uh, contribution. So if you got a gift where everyone contributes, that was koinonia, right? So let's say you wanted to buy someone a gift, right? Like, 
you know, hey, so-and-so, they're going away. We want to buy them a nice gift. We're going to buy them, I don't know, what's a nice gift? A new refrigerator. That's, that's a good gift, right? <laughs> and, and like one person on their own, right, that might be kind of tough for them to do that. But if everyone pulls their money together, we can get them this much nicer gift than we could get on our own. Right? That's koinonia. I want to show you kind of a modern example uh, of koinonia. This was a story that was making the rounds a few months ago. Like every major news source reported on this because it was such an unusual story. It was kind of like a heartwarming story. And so it, it's, it's going to be a two-minute thing. This is Inside Edition's version of the story. Uh, but we're going to watch this uh, now. out the door at Donut City. I like these as well. Customers are buying as many donuts as they can, dozens at a time. I got eight dozen donut holes. <laughs> the donuts are delicious, but that doesn't entirely explain their popularity. How is your wife doing? Good. You see, these folks are buying all the donuts because they want the owner to close up shop early so he can go home and take care of his ailing wife, who's recovering from a brain aneurysm. I bought uh, three dozen. Yeah, I came in the other day and bought 300. My order was $36, and I just gave him a $50 bill. I Anything can help. How are you? John Chan and his wife Stella have been running Donut City in Seal Beach, California for 30 years. My husband used to bring my children here in the 90s. Now the close-knit community is rallying behind them. I could have gone somewhere else today, but I chose to come here to help him. Seeing everyone this morning and being able to help out is like honestly seeing a little piece of heaven. When Jonah Genova got there, the donuts were gone, and she couldn't be more delighted. I grew up in a family business, so it really means a lot to me. I know what it's like when you can't close the business down because you need to have the income to support your family, but at the same time you want to be with your family. So it's, it means a lot to me that other people are willing to do that for a local business. By 7 this morning, the entire stock was sold. Not a single donut remained. And this hard-working immigrant from Cambodia will soon be headed home to be with his wife. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, no more. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, that is koinonia, right? That is a fellowship that is not just about people being together in the same room. It's about sharing things in common together, right? Being able to do much more together than we are able to do on our own, right? I think that's part of the reason why this story struck people so much is because, you know, in our day and age where uh, so many people are just focused on themselves to see a community come together and not just, I mean, yeah, they were buying donuts, <laughs> right? But they were doing it um, to give a gift. Right? It was a gift that they were giving uh, to this family. And so for a lot of us, we look at that and we're like, man, that's, that's so cool. You know, I, I, I wonder um, if that story would have happened, uh, if that would have happened if it wasn't in a small town, right? a small town where people knew each other. People knew their stories. Right? People had been gathering there. People heard about what happened to the, the donut store owner's wife. Right? And then they, they, they rallied around it and the, the word spread. Right? And so, brothers and sisters, you see so much in this story about a kind of community that is extraordinary, 
So now this isn't about donuts here. <laughs> I just thought it would be cute to share a story about donuts when we're having donuts for fellowship. I don't know. It's good synergy, right? Um, but one of the most amazing parts of the story is verse 44, right? And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's not normal, brothers and sisters. That's not what communities usually do, right? But this is what Christian community was like when the Holy Spirit came and when the Holy Spirit led them. The Holy Spirit led them to do these things, right? To give what they had so that there was no one in need, right? For many of us, brothers and sisters, we look at these kinds of things and we wonder, you know, how is this possible? You know, isn't there a cost involved? Of course there's a cost involved, right? Just like in the donut story. <laughs> I don't know how much those donuts cost. Those donuts cost about, you know, buck fifty, you know. <laughs> I don't know how much the donuts were in that story. There was a cost. But it wasn't just about the cost that they paid, right? There was so much more that was able to happen when people contributed, right? People weren't counting the cost, do you think? Do you think people were coming to this fellowship? I mean, of course, we don't hear, right? But do you think people were coming to this fellowship and they're like, man, Christians, this is expensive, right? Like, we, we got to give all this stuff? Do you think they were focused on that? Or do you think they were focused on what was happening in their midst, looking at it and saying, okay, maybe this is costly, but this is beautiful. Look, there's no one who has need here. We've never seen anything like this, right? In our world, we, we look at anything that has a cost, and we're, we're a little skeptical, right? We're like, mm, no, that's too risky. You know, what if, what if I don't get a return on my investment? What if I invest in this community and this community rips me off? What if they just take, 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 and I don't get anything back from it, right? What if I'm the only one giving? That didn't seem to be what was happening here. In many churches today, um, you know, I was talking about this last week when we were talking about the, the message was resurrecting church, but we're talking about how many churches nowadays, it's not everyone contributing anymore. That, that, that's not the fellowship you see. It's a few people in churches contributing, right? And people come to church and, you know, it, it's almost like they're customers and that the people who are contributing are leaders, Right? So you're either paid leaders or you're volunteer leaders, but you're a leader nonetheless. And that is your relationship to the church, right? And so then we look at the church and we can criticize the church. We can say, this church is not very friendly. No one said hi to me. And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. If you understand what church is, you should change that statement. You shouldn't say, this church isn't friendly. No one came up and talked to me. You should say, I'm not very friendly. I didn't talk to anyone. Ooh, it's a different way of thinking, right? Because if church is supposed to be mutual contribution, koinonia, mutual contribution, everyone gives, everyone receives. Everyone gives, and when you everyone gives, so much more happens than just the input of everyone's actions. This story is not about people buying donuts, right? It's about people loving in koinonia that made national news outlets take notice. This is unusual. This is beautiful. This is so much more than the sum of all the donuts and the sum of all the money, 
right? This is a movement of some sort. This is love. And this is what the church is supposed to be. This is what the Holy Spirit is calling us to be, right? And so as we start to see what this can be, how do we get this? Because I have to say, it's not natural, right? The Holy Spirit does break out, and I don't want to gloss over the, the, the so-called supernatural aspects of the story. Yes, there's healings, there's miracles, right? There's people speaking in different languages. But all of these things are for the purpose of building up the community, One of the things that was really scared to me about the Holy Spirit was this phenomenon called tongues. You guys have probably heard of it. It's the idea of speaking in an angelic language. Now, the original use of tongues was not an angelic language that people did not understand. It were, they were human languages, right? It was Chinese and Spanish and Portuguese, right? It was other people's languages that you could understand. But again, we don't have time for a whole study of uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. But when you see the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what you see is they have one thing in common. One thing in common. You know what that is? They're all meant to build up the body of Christ. That's what they have in common. Right? So for me, <laughs> you know, thinking about the randomness of, the seemingly randomness of, uh, you know, the so-called gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, Uh, barking like a dog or rolling around on the ground. Now, brothers and sisters, none of that is in the Bible. What is in the Bible are things like prophecy, speaking truth to people, right? So that they can be encouraged, so they can be built up and edified, so they can be challenged, so their lives can change. Again, building up the body, right? Paul even says, if there's someone speaking in a tongue that you can't understand, pray that you can have someone be able to interpret. Why? Because that gift is not just about like, oh, this is so cool, I can speak in an angelic language, right? Isn't that interesting? The whole point is so you can build up the body. All of these gifts are meant to build up the body of Christ, right? To build the koinonia, the fellowship, to encourage one another, right? And this is why we understand that everyone has a gift of the Holy Spirit. They're just different. Right? And you're not supposed to be like, okay, well, we got a few superstars in this congregation. We got like three or four people who are going to do all the work, right? Or they're going to do the heavy lifting. And the rest of us are going to politely listen and take notes. Maybe we'll sing a few songs, right? But the rest of us don't really do much. That's not koinonia, friends. The koinonia is everyone brings a gift. And the collective blessing is so much greater than the gifts that were given. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, right? Now, how do we get this? (laughs) How do we start to see the movement of the Holy Spirit to move and create the kind of fellowship that maybe you really want to see? Maybe all of us want to see. I know for me, I long for this. So I want to know. So one of the things that uh, (laughs) maybe it's kind of obvious But in the very beginning of the story, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now remember, koinonia is about participation, right? It is about participation. It is about how we are able to love and contribute to each other together. So this is one of the things that you need in koinonia. You need to be together. I know that sounds like such a duh statement, 
<laughs> but it's something that in this day and age, you can't take for granted. Last week, I was talking about how, you know, uh, Steve, before I was Pastor Steve, when I was in college, I thought to myself, how great would it be to just have church by myself in my dorm room? I don't need to go somewhere. I don't need to wake up early. I can have church whenever I want to, right? It's not church. It's not church because church is a gathering. Church is the gathering of God's people participating together. It is community, right? In that word community, you see communion. You are sharing things together in common. That must be there. Now, you may have a community that is dysfunctional, a community that doesn't need to share or doesn't know how to share, a community that doesn't know how to give, that doesn't know how to be generous, right? That, that may be true. But one thing I'll tell you, if community never gathers, you never have the hope for a community that can function as a community. So, of course, just gathering together isn't enough but you do need to gather together. One of the things that we're told about um, the, the, the early church, the, the, the first century church, is that they gathered. <laughs> they, they broke bread in people's homes, right? That, you know, we're told many times in scriptures to not stop meeting. I know it seems like such an obvious thing, but in this day and age, I mean, it gets harder and harder, right? We're all so busy. We all have our own agendas. We all have these things that we want to do, and we're just like, hey, I just don't got the time. You know, I'm busy. I don't have time for community. I was sharing last week a story about um, uh, that, that was uh, talking about the importance of community and how community is really getting disrupted in this day and age, Right? There really aren't that many communities anymore. Not, you know, in the true sense of the word, of people coming together and sharing things in common. But I think there's a great desire for it. And I read this story about, uh, there's this woman um, whose, uh, her, her brother had moved to the suburbs of New York. She lived in New York City. And uh, she had a family. Uh, she, 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 was, she was married. She had a, 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 a young kid. Um, but they really didn't have any community. Um, and so for her, her job, she was a journalist, and she was trying to advance her career. And she was so focused on that. Oh, I'm going to win her Pulitzer Prize, right? I'm going to advance my, my, you know, advance my career to a certain point. And she saw her brother decide to move out of the city, to move out into the suburbs, and to form community. He joined a church, right? And just, you know, he, he had uh, a lawn that he had to mow. And he, she's like, well, why would you want this? Right? It, it, you were in the city. It was so exciting. There's so many things going on. Why would you want this boring suburban life? You know, taking your kids to youth group and, you know, going to potluck dinners, you know? And she didn't get it until her uh, brother got sick. And, and her brother got terminally ill. And all these people would show up to the hospital. They show up at her brother's uh, house and bringing casseroles and pies and different things for the family. And up until the, the moment that her brother, who died, uh, very, it was a very painful and very difficult ordeal that he went through. But up until the end, he was not alone. And at the funeral, she saw this, this church filled with people. All these people who were surrounding her brother's family, praying for her brother's family, loving her brother's family. And of course, there were tears. 
but there was so much love in that room. And finally, she was like, I got it. I get it. She had lived her whole life trying to advance her career, but she had no one. She thought, you know, if I get sick, is there going to be people coming around bringing casseroles for my family? Are they going to, if, if I die, will there be this church full of people surrounding my family with love and with prayer and with support? Probably not. And at the end of the day, what are we living our lives for? What are all the things that we're too busy for community? We're too busy for koinonia. What is it all for at the end of the day? What is it going to get us? Is there some kind of magic prize that we think we're going to get that is better than, than koinonia? That is better than this fellowship, this community? That is so life-giving that when people look at that and they see a community that genuinely loves each other, and you look at that and you're like, man, I get it. This is beautiful. We don't see that enough. That, that I know it wasn't a Christian example, but I think that was koinonia, that the world took notice and said, look at all those people buying all those donuts. It makes no sense. That, that man bought 300 donuts, right? But it's beautiful. It makes no sense, but it's beautiful. We know it when we see it, don't we? We know it when we see it. What if we did gather together? What if the Holy Spirit's work wasn't just about breaking out, send you out into the world, right? Of course, that's part of it. The Holy Spirit may send you to distant parts of the world to preach the gospel, no doubt. But the Holy Spirit may not just be trying to break out. It might be trying to break in. Because what you see in this story is, of course, the people go out and they, they preach the gospel in these different languages. And then they bring those people back into community. And they bring those people into their homes. Into their homes. We live a day, in a day and age where Going to someone's home is, is it's just becoming less and less frequent. You know, our, our homes are this, these kind of private sanctuaries, right? And when you go into someone's home, you can see their mess. <laughs> you can see their history. You can see their pictures. You can see all kinds of things that you would not learn about someone who comes out exactly as they want you to see them, right? If you go into someone's bathroom, you're going to get some different information <laughs> about a person than you would get just seeing them exactly as I want to present myself to you, all done up, right, with my face on, with my clothes looking a certain way, projecting a kind of image. When you come into my home, you see a little bit more of me, right? And what we see in this community is the Spirit didn't just break out into the world. The Spirit broke into people's homes. And people came with them. They gathered in people's homes, right? They shared parts of their lives together. They broke bread together, right? Now, some of you may know this, but the reason why that we do communion the way we do is because we misinterpreted what Paul was talking about uh, when, when he was criticizing the way people did communion. So communion was a meal. Right? You see in this passage, they broke bread together. It wasn't just a ritual. 
It wasn't just a, a bunch of people coming single file and getting bread from a priest, right? It wasn't that. It was people sharing bread altogether. But what started to happen was that there were rich people, right? Because uh, uh, Christianity broke down all kinds of socioeconomic uh, boundaries, and people came, and they shared all their stuff in common. But some of the people were wealthier than some of the other people. Some of the people didn't have to work. But there were some people who were day workers, and they had to work very long hours. And so when people would gather, there were some people who were pre-gaming. Right? They were like rich people who were just sitting around and eating their food before the people got there. And Paul, when he found out about this, was livid. He said, that is not communion. That is not koinonia. Why? Because you're not doing it together. Right? Some of you are like, hey, well, I like these people better. You know, these are my kinds of people. This is my kind of class. We have similar interests together, right? We can talk about rich people stuff together, right? We can eat rich people food together, and we're going to meet before the poor people come, and we're going to do our own thing. And Paul said, no, that is not koinonia. You don't get it, right? Koinonia is sharing all things together in common. You break down those barriers, right? You wait for the people to come. You don't sin against the body of Christ in this way. That's what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about getting the words right. He wasn't talking about some sort of specific ritual, right? He was talking about community the way that God was trying to bring community together, right? Breaking down these walls. Now, we may not do it perfectly, but this is one of the things that you will also see. How does the Holy Spirit come? Now, th- there's this part where after Peter preaches and, you know, uh, he-, he says all these things and we're told when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What, what-, what do we call that-, that-, that statement? Cut to the heart. We have a modern word for that. Conviction. Good. So they were convicted, right? The Holy Spirit was convicting them. They were cut to the heart and they were like, oh, what do we do, right? And Peter's uh, and the rest of the apostles, right? They, they asked, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so what we're told is that the Holy Spirit was working in this way where it was already convicting them. But remember, Peter says, repent and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So clearly the Holy Spirit still had some more work to do. It wasn't just the conviction, right? But what needed to happen? They needed to participate, right? They needed to participate in what the Holy Spirit was doing. In other words, they had to say yes. They had to agree to it. What if they were convicted that day and Peter was like, okay, come and get baptized. And they're like, nah, I'm good. Thanks, man. Conviction? Mm, Felt good. I got the fuzzies, right? But I'm going to go home now. There'd be no filling of the Holy Spirit. There would be no church. There would be no koinonia. They had to participate. They had to say yes 
to what the Holy Spirit was doing and get baptized, which again, I know is a five cent Christian word that has meant all these ritualistic things. But what was baptism? It was a symbol of immersing your life in God, in the Holy Spirit. Baptism meant being dunked in a river, right? Being immersed in water. I mean, there's a lot of submission there. (laughs) There's a lot of surrender to getting dunked in a river, right? You got to kind of let that happen, right? But you can't really do that by surprise. Maybe some of you guys have heard about, I talk about Nacho Libre sometimes, where Nacho, who's this monk who wants to be a wrestler, he's got like an atheist friend who he just comes up to him and baptizes him without his permission. He's like, praise the Lord, right? You know, just just gets him by surprise, right? That's not really baptism. I'm sorry. (laughs) Baptism is a participation. You have to say yes to it. You have to say, yes, I am going to immerse my life. My life is going to be different now. I'm going to dunk my entire life into the Spirit. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, lead me. Lead me into what? Into your kind of community. The Spirit might convict. It might cut to your heart. It might say, okay, let's do this. Let's go and form community. But you have to say yes. You have to participate. You have to surrender, right? Holy Spirit is a gentleman in the sense that the Holy Spirit will not make you do things. I know, I know you hear so many stories about Holy Spirit leading. Yes, it's true. But we do have a part to play. It is the part that has to agree. You have to come into agreement with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Have you ever been convicted of something? that like was like something that would bring you in the direction of love. I don't know, maybe there's somebody like on the street and you just felt this, this kind of voice within you. You're like, what, what is that? Did I eat a bad taco? Like, like, why am I getting this crazy thought that I should go talk to this person? Right, or there's like a homeless man jingling his cup and I should go put some money in there. And then you have a decision to make. Do I do that? Do I come into agreement with whatever is trying to lead me? Is that the Holy Spirit? I don't know, but I know this is what spirits do. They lead. They lead. They lead you, well, especially the Holy Spirit, leads you into God's purposes, which is God's purposes are about love. It's about connection. It is about community. Maybe there was a time where God was telling you, you know what? I want you to call that person. You know that person? You know that person? You know that person, don't you? Mm. Getting a little too uncomfortable? It's getting a little hotter in here. Do you know that person? That person that God is trying to tell you, I want you to reconcile. I want you to forgive. Now, Holy Spirit can convict you all day long, can prick you many, many times, cut to the heart. But at the end of the day, you must agree. You must say yes. There is no movement of the Holy Spirit if you do not come into agreement with it, right? If the people didn't accept this invitation to come to the river and have their lives immersed in the life of the Spirit, if they didn't agree to come over to someone's house, to some stranger's house, and start breaking bread together, and start doing life differently, and starting to share the stuff they had in common, there would be no movement of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense, brothers and sisters? You must come into agreement. So first thing you need is what? you got to come together. 
Second thing you need is, well, yeah, you got to wait on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you of something, but then you have to say yes. You, you got to come into agreement with it. You got to participate because that is what koinonia is. There's no koinonia, no koinonia without participation. That's what it is. You are participating in the life of the Spirit. You are participating in the purposes of God. You are creating what God desires to create. Is the body of Christ here on earth. This is what we need, brothers and sisters. So what I want to do is I want to end this message with an invitation. You are all invited to my house. <laughs> we kind of skipped over this, and this might be a good time to come back to this, but... Um, there was an announcement about, uh, oh, wait, maybe it didn't make it in there. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it didn't get in there. Well, okay, that's okay. Because uh, uh, you are all invited to my house. We have this thing that we're going to call oikos, right? Oikos is just a Greek word. Uh, there's also, there's a, there's a Greek yogurt called oikos. <laughs> it's not yogurt. It doesn't mean yogurt. It means house or home, Right? And so many uh, uh, Christian fellowships used to call themselves oikos, like like home house churches used to call themselves oikos. They they stopped doing it because they're like, we don't want people to think we're yogurt. Um, But, you know, uh, we're going to call this fellowship oikos. And what I want to do is invite you to our house. And you are all invited to participate. This is just the expectation, is that you come and you bring something. You bring something. You can bring a loaf of bread. You can bring an apple you found at your house. You can bring a cookie that's left over. It's not about cost. You just bring something, anything. And if you don't bring anything physical, then bring your participation, bring your prayers. Bring your willingness to come and talk to someone. Right. And so what it's going to be is it's going to be an informal fellowship time. Every time we do it, it's going to be something a little bit different. Uh, I'm calling it kind of semi-structured. You know, sometimes we'll get together, we'll sing songs. Uh, This week we're going to pray. Right? But it's going to be semi-structured. We will have a time. It's not just going to be a fellowship time where you just come and you eat and you talk to the people you want to talk to. Uh, not this time. <laughs> we will have some time for that. But there's going to be a time where we come together and we pray for each other. And what's a little bit different about this than other gatherings is all of you are invited. It's not just college and post-grad. It's not just the family group or the youth group. You're all invited. So come <laughs> this Friday. We're going to do it at 7. It, 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 now, this whole message wasn't meant to be an advertisement. <laughs> but for you to start seeing a vision for what koinonia can be, it's not just supposed to be a bunch of people listening to a guy talk, singing a few songs, eating a donut and going home. Right? It is us participating in the work of Christ to create the kind of community of Christ that really loves the way that Christ loves us. Is that what you want? I know that's what I want. Praise team, could, could you guys come up? And uh, let's just take a moment to pray. You know, maybe your prayer is simply to pray for your community. There's some people here who uh, maybe this isn't your regular church home. That's okay. Wherever your church home is, I pray for kononia. I pray that you can have the kind of participation together, right? Where you can experience the kind of community that we saw when the Holy Spirit came on on the first century church. The kind of community where people really did care for each other.
where people gave sacrificially without counting the cost, where people had more than enough, where people really felt like they had a place where they were understood, really had a place where they experienced God, they really had a place where they were cared for. This is my desire. Maybe it's yours. And if it is yours, let's pray. Let's wait upon the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come and change our concept of church. Come break us out of our normal niceties or our, our, our fear, our fear of each other. Because I told you, brothers and sisters, the story started with a bunch of disciples gathering together. But it wasn't quite koinonia. They gathered together. But it wasn't quite koinonia yet. Why? Because what led them was the spirit of fear, not the spirit of God. The spirit of fear that said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what if they come and get us? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, maybe maybe one of these guys will sell me. <laughs> I don't know. You know. Maybe there won't be enough for us. Maybe I got to look out for myself. When the spirit of God came, they knew we have enough. We can give. We can be sacrificial. We can care. We can let down our guard. We can start to trust. This is what I desire for our church, for all churches. And if it's what you desire, let's just take a moment to pray. Holy Spirit, come. Break down our walls. Break us out. But also, Holy Spirit, come and break in. Break into those defenses that I put up. Maybe I I haven't been willing to trust other people. I've been willing to trust a community because I've been burned before. And so really what I'm concerned about is just protecting myself. Brothers and sisters, is that motivated by love or is that motivated by fear? And maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you, when I'm with you, you are safe. When I am in this place, you can trust me. You can start to trust one another. It's not going to be perfect. I'm not saying community won't let you down. But I'm saying it's worth it. It's worth it. There's something greater I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show you, you are not alone. You don't have to do life alone. We can do life together. We can care for one another. We can model Christ to one another. Precious God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come. God, to come into every heart, but also to come into our relationship. To come into the ways that we think about relationship. Our willingness to come to relationship. Our willingness to come and meet together. Our willingness to participate, God, in what you are doing when we are convicted. To say yes. To surrender. God, we pray for your spirit to break out. We pray for your spirit to break in. We pray, God, for our churches to reflect more the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of people who know how to share life together, who are learning how to participate, God, in what you are doing. God, we thank you so much.